Our scripture reading today is Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Well, it's time now, I believe, for the pastoral prayer and we'll have the Lord's Prayer as well. Uh, would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we could do come before you this morning, uh, come before you distracted and tired. Uh, we might even feel dead spiritually. And so, Lord, we do pray for your spirit to, to breathe new life into us. Uh, we do pray, Holy Spirit, you would cause a work in us to revive our hearts, our minds, our souls. Uh, we pray, Lord, uh, not just for our own spiritual revival. We pray for the revival of friends and family and neighbors and co-workers. Uh, we lift them up to you and ask that we would uh, trust that you're indeed at work and that you are powerful enough to change even the hardest of hearts. So, Lord, we lift those up to you this morning. We pray, Lord, that you, uh, you not only hear our prayers, you answer them, and you hear our prayers for our friends, our family who are struggling physically, and so we come before you, the Good Shepherd, and ask for you to heal, you, the Great Physician, to, to uh, bring about healing to those who are hurting, those who are just physically suffering from, from disease, uh, from sickness, that their health is just in decline. Oh, Lord, would you bring healing through the, the means you have provided? Would you work in the hearts of doctors, the minds, to give them the, the precision, the detail to treat and to mend? Would you provide healing to those souls who are hurt, who have scars and wounds? Would you cover them with the balm of your soul, of your spirit? Lord, pray for uh, this church, that you would continue to grow it, that you would 
use this retreat for these men to, to grow them closer to you, but also to, to be able to share your love of, of you with their families and with their friends and their loved ones, that it would be, uh, that this would be an Ebenezer of sorts they can look back on and say, that is where the Lord really took captive my heart and my soul uh, and changed me. And because of that, changed the tra- trajectory of this church to, to growth and to health and to loving others. Lord, would you use it mightily? We pray that for all the churches uh, in this area. We pray for in High Point. Lord, I thank you for the work of your spirit, the work you are doing there. And we do pray that you would uh, bring a gospel-centered, Bible-believing church to fruition in High Point. And Lord, we also just lay before you uh, our country and our state. Uh, we pray for our elected officials. We pray for this election coming up, and we pray that uh, your will be done, and that we would trust that you are sovereign, you're at work, and that you give grace to your people. Uh, you give grace to us uh, by teaching us in so many ways, and so we uh, pray now the prayer that you taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Uh, just a little introduction. My name is Jacob Morrison. It's great to be here with you all this morning. Clyde is my coach for church planning, so you know how to pray for me. Uh, I'm originally from Texas. My wife, Lizzie, uh, she is from Clemson, South Carolina. We have three children. We have my daughter, Nora, who is with me this morning. Uh, She is excited because she's going to Great Wolf Lodge after this for a birthday party. Yeah. Uh, We have a five-year-old son named Grady and a four-month-old, Molly. And so they're at home in High Point. We moved to High Point in May to start church planning. We were in Greenville, South Carolina for 10 years before that, and we both worked for RUF. I went to seminary here in Charlotte prior to that. So it's great to be here with y'all and excited for what the Lord is doing at um, in in, uh, this part of North Carolina. It's really something. Well, let's turn attention now to Ezekiel 37. And I want to start by saying I have been to Death Valley. And I say that, uh, I'll rephrase it, I've experienced college football in both stadiums that call themselves Death Valley. Uh, Both have their moments of intimidation. We saw that last night with LSU. Uh, And at LSU, at their Death Valley, when the defense stops the opposing team on third down, the band plays this certain song, and the student section, they do this, like, bowing down. It looks, it is like they're possessed. It is terrifying uh, as they sway their arms back and forth in like an act of worship. Uh, it's incredible. And at Clemson, when you go to their Death Valley, not as good, but it's still Death Valley, when you go there and you stand on the field, you notice, where do the stands go? They go like vertically straight up. It's pretty terrifying to be on the second deck. Uh, it's like a wall of orange. But both Death Valleys, they communicate a certain message to the visiting team, right? You are going to lose, and you're going to be very uncomfortable in the process of losing. Now, on the outset, this text from Ezekiel might communicate that same uh, 
kind of thing to us. This is an intimidating place, a valley of bones. It's where death surrounds without much hope. But what we actually see is this, that this is the very place that God brings about victory. That the story of the Bible is captured here in this. God seeks to bring the dead to life. And we see that here this morning in the seeking, the prophesying, and the leaving. So there are your three points this morning. Uh, seeking, prophesying, leaving. That's where we're going this morning. So let's start by looking at uh, the seeking in verses 1 through 6. And as you look there, since we're kind of just parachuting into this text, uh, you can, let me give you some background of what's going on, some context. Uh, Ezekiel is a prophet to Israel in the, both the pre- and the post-destruction of Israel by the pagan nations. And it's in this part of Ezekiel that Israel has already been destroyed, okay? Already destroyed. But a funny thing happens. Ezekiel is starting to see revelations from God about the work that Yahweh, God, will do for his people. This is after they've already been destroyed. There are two places in particular. If you have a Bible, look at Ezekiel 34. It's a text about a good shepherd who will come and redeem Israel from evil shepherds. A good shepherd who will seek out the lost and feed them and allow them to lie down, it says, in green grass. Does that sound familiar? So we see Ezekiel 34, the good shepherd, and then in Ezekiel 36, this famous declaration that Yahweh will cleanse us and then give us a new heart, removing the heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh. Does that sound familiar? These two glorious promises of God are given right before we come to our text here this morning, Ezekiel 37. So let's look there. Let's start in verse 1 where we see that God brings Ezekiel out into a place. What place exactly? The middle of a valley. And what surrounds him but death? Dry bones is death. Bones. And not animal carcasses either. Skeletons. Bones of men. Look at verse 2. He, that is God, he led me around among them, and there were very many, and they were very dry. Now the picture here is like a battlefield. After the carnage, a long time after the carnage, where instead of no man being left behind, all men were left behind because there was no one left standing. It's just a sea of death. It's a sea of destruction as God leads Ezekiel back and he forth, just surrounded by piles of bones. Bones that have been there for a while, as they're very dry, they're very dead, they're, they're like they're bleached by the sun. And so we've gone from Ezekiel 36, this amazing passage where God says, I'm going to remove this heart of stone, I'm going to give you life. Now, we're given a sight of death all around us. It kind of gives you chills to think about. And yet, what do we see in verse 3? God asks a question to the prophet. He says, son of man, he says, son of man, can these bones live? You're like, what kind of question is this? Can these bones live? Can these dried out things live? Now, we have that Bible. I want you to turn to Ezekiel 11. It's another vision of Ezekiel where he sees destruction and he asks God this question in verse 13 of chapter 11. What does he ask? He says, will you make a full end? That is, will you completely destroy the remnant of Israel? This valley of dry bones, 
this valley of death seems to answer that earlier question. Israel has been destroyed because of their sin. They are dead. They are physically dead, just as they were already dead in their sin. And yet, how does Ezekiel answer that question? What does he say to God's question, Son of man, can these bones live? What does he say? He says, O Lord, you know. Y'all, he has witnessed the destruction of Israel. He dwells in the midst of death, and yet he doesn't say, no, that's not going to happen. Why? Because he knows that the Lord can make it happen. He knows who Yahweh is. He knows that God is the sovereign ruler of heaven and earth and all that is in between it. Do you see, because of who God is, Ezekiel, he cannot say, no, Lord, they're too far gone. They're too bleached. They're too brittle. They're too decomposed. No, he says, you know, O Lord. And that makes us ask, do we know? Or do we really believe that? To ask it another way, do we believe that God can, can he raise rebels like us? Sinners like us? We can answer this, O Lord, we know. We know what you say in Colossians 2. Paul writes, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, and you, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. We can say, oh Lord, we know because of that. We can know because the truth of the gospel is that for those who believe in the person and work of Jesus, he redeems and he raises our dry bones and he gives them life. He gives us life. But here's, here's another thing. If he can redeem me from my sins, he can redeem anyone. If he can resurrect bleached, brittle bones, he can res resurrect even the hardest of hearts. The people you think are too far gone, maybe that's yourself, maybe that's your neighbor, maybe it's your coworker. Do you believe that none are too far gone and the Lord can actually resurrect, breathe life into that person's heart? that no one is too dead for God to breathe life into, none, that he will do it. How? Look what happens next. God calls Ezekiel to prophesy, to preach, to preach the words of Yahweh to these bones, to the Lord of the bones. Look at verses 5 and 6. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you. We learned what that meant and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Now, you ever think about this? Preaching to dead bones, that's crazy, right? If, someone, if you were to walk on to someone and they're preaching to a bunch of dead bones, you would think they're insane. What do you think evangelism is? What do you think church planning is? What do you think I'm doing in High Point? What are y'all called to do here? Just north of Charlotte. What do you think ministry to the world is? Y'all, this is the call that we have to proclaim to the ends of the earth that there is a God who can raise the dead to life, who clothes skeletons with flesh, who gives hearts of flesh, in places of stone, and who brings about redemption and salvation, and he's come to do what we think is impossible 
He has come to set you free and me free from sin and shame and life and death so that you might live and know that Jesus is Savior and King and Lord. That's what he calls us to do, and it's terrifying to think about. But he does it, how? Through a simple man, a simple man who is given a simple message. How will God work through you and me to raise dry bones? How has he worked throughout the history of the church? Through the power of his word being proclaimed and his saints living out their trust in that word. And through all of that, the Spirit of God works in the dry bones of whomever God wills. So, brothers and sisters, trust that God is at work. Trust that he really is Emmanuel, God with us, and that he is using his people to raise up dry bones through his word, that he is at work in it. So what does he preach? He preaches the word of God. And what does God do? He gives breath. We see that fleshed out a bit more in our second section, that of prophesying. So let's look there. Look at specifically verses 7 through 10. And right away we see that Ezekiel starts to prophesy the word. He preaches. And he preaches the word of God, and he sees the power of God unleashed as the bones come together. Uh, and my church in Greenville, we went through the book of Acts. And I just remember thinking about Pentecost. See everything about Pentecost? I do all the time. Uh, it's, just, it's totally normal. Uh, you ever thought being at Pentecost where the Spirit arrives and, and there's this sound of rushing wind? You ever wonder what that's like? Just me, okay. Bones are flying all around in this, what's going on right here, okay? Bones are flying around, and they're connecting to one another, and the idea here in verse 7 is that these bones, they're not just like randomly going back. They're not just like, hey, this pile of bones is going to stick together. No, they're, <laughs> it's not just random clustering. It's a literal playing out of that children's song, you know, the, the knee bone connected to the leg bone, connected to the, I don't know. But they're going back in place as they were meant to be. As Ezekiel proclaims the word of God, the power of God at work reforms these bones into men, and then he clothes them in their joints and ligaments and muscles and flesh. But notice, at the end of verse 8, there's something missing, isn't there? What's missing? What's the problem? They're still dead. There's no breath in them. These bones still aren't living. They look better. They do look better now than they did just a bit ago, but they're still dead. Now, what's interesting in this chapter is that there's a word play going on between the words spirit, breath, and wind. If you see them in, in, the, in this chapter, you see the, that word, it's the same Hebrew word, ruach. It's translated differently, but it's the same Hebrew word. And the word is used to describe the very spirit of God, even in Genesis 1, Verse 2, as it hovered upon the waters, the Spirit of God hovered, the Ruach. That Greek translation of the word uses the same word here. It will be used in the New Testament to describe Holy Spirit. So Ruach, that's important. That's an important word. And we see it here ten times in this chapter. Ten times in these verses the word is used. And we translate it three different ways, which is really fun and not confusing at all. 
But what is missing in these dead corpses? Ruach, spirit, breath. What's going to make them alive? What will bring about this transformation from death into life? That spirit of God breathed into them. And the same is true for you and me today. What transforms our hearts? What transforms our minds, our souls? What brings them to life but the Spirit of God breathed into us? And when that Spirit of God is breathed into what, we, what was once dead, look what happens in verses 9 and 10. They lived, and they stood, and they formed a great army. The breath of God not only brings these dry bones to life, but they stand on their feet like an army. They stand and rise ready to serve the Lord. They rise to serve the king and his kingdom. Do you see that they were raised with a purpose? If you're a Christian here this morning, you too have been raised with a purpose. God has breathed life into you to serve his kingdom in some form, some capacity, to speak the words of life in the valley of dry bones. Something very simple, right? But not easy. Because we all have different types of kingdoms that surround us and call us to worship them. Y'all, only one king can breathe life into you. Only one Lord gives you his life. Those kingdoms we have, the kingdom of men, they don't, they don't do that. They do one thing. They take and consume and burden you, but the Lord, he gives. He gives you and me life with a purpose to serve his kingdom. And I want you to see that that purpose is not a burden. Look at these dead and dry bones now stand and proclaim God's power, and they rule and reign in this world. But this isn't the first time in the book of Ezekiel that we see God at work changing someone. What God does to these bones, he does first to Ezekiel. So again, if you have a Bible, go to chapter 1. Go to chapter 1 and look at how it leaves them. It says, Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord, and when I saw it, I fell on my face. So glorious and powerful was God that his glory alone brought about a reaction. Sorry. It brought about a reaction. Ezekiel fell. These bones, they stand up. So what about us? What's our reaction? How do we respond to the Spirit of God? How do we respond to the fact that God has breathed life into our dry bones and now we see a glimpse of his glory? Let me put this down. <laughs> we come together to serve the king. That's how we react. That's how we're called to react. We gather like an army ready to lay down our lives for one another, for the one who laid down his life for us. How do we do that? By doing exactly what Ezekiel did, by speaking to dead bones about one who could revive them, about loving dead bones and caring for dead bones who could be revived, begging for the Lord, praying to the Lord to work a miracle and to bring his spirit, that ruah, to fill empty carcasses. And as we do that, doing it with patience and doing it with trust. Remember Ezekiel, he was a prophet for a very long time, pre- and post-destruction. Remember that. This, the very bones he is speaking to are most likely the people he spoke to earlier about the coming judgment of God. You ever think about that? 
And even here, he's prophesying multiple times. And it wasn't a, he wasn't a speaking God's word and, and bam, you've got some resurrected bodies. It took time. The work of speaking the truths of Scripture in a broken world, it takes time. It takes time for questions. It takes time for wrestling through understanding and doubts. The Spirit of God works in God's time and not in ours. That's really frustrating, isn't it? But it takes time. Just consider Adam. He's molded, and then God breathed life into him. It wasn't an instant thing. I think about my conversion to Christianity. It took time sitting under God's word and asking questions for the Spirit regenerated my heart. It takes time. And I say that because here's the real question we have to struggle with. Do you have time for people? Do you have time to walk with somebody as it takes time for them to grasp what, what it means to believe the gospel? We need patience but we can't forget that it's ultimately not about us to convert someone. Let me just say that in a different way. Even if you take all the time in the world, you can't make someone believe in God. If it were as simple as presenting a presentation of facts and figures and Excel spreadsheets, and people really like that, uh, wouldn't the church have given that material to everyone by now? That might seem really depressing, but we can't convince someone. Not even me, a preacher, can convince someone, but let me tell you why I think that's really incredibly encouraging. If it were up to me, if it were up to you to convince people, imagine how much pressure you would feel on a constant basis. Imagine how much pressure you would feel every time you talk to somebody about Jesus. The eternal soul of a person would be in your hands. And you could crush it or drop it. You could kill it. And it'd be all on you. Y'all, we were never made for that. Our calling is simply to proclaim the gospel to people, to live out the gospel in our day-to-day -day lives, to live differently because of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, and trust in what? That the Spirit of God really does bring life to dry bones. He prophesies. So let's close this morning then by seeing how leaving this place is the culmination of victory. And we see that in the last bit, verses 11 through 14. So let's look at me at verse 11, where we see God tell us, These bones are the house of Israel that were destroyed years prior. But here's what those bones proclaim. Our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Israel understands here that they are hopeless. They are hopeless. They are but bones. The Hebrew has been translated here as Israel is saying, our thread of life has been cut off. Imagine a thread just boop, severed, gone, crushed. Their hope is gone. They're hopeless unto themselves. But what does the Lord say in verses 12 through 14? You are hopeless on your own, but you are not without hope because you are mine. And I will restore your hope for the future. Look what he says. Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I'll bring you into the land of Israel. And no longer will you dwell in the valley of death, but you will be brought into your home country. 
and you will not just be corpses in the promised land. No, the Lord says, what? And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you will live, and I will place you in your own land. So as we look at this, I just want to point out a few things. First, notice how God describes these once dried bones. What does he call them? My people. Oh, my people. Mine. And he says, my people will receive my spirit. What does it mean to call someone mine? I call Nora my daughter. I call Grady my son. I call them my kids. There's a union there, a connection. It's more than just, hey, I know who that person is. I know who you are. She's real embarrassed right now. I'm sorry. I call them mine, and I do what a father does. I provide for them. I love them. I care for them. And I'm just a normal earthly dad. What does it mean to be called mine by the heavenly father? It's more than just a mere association. God, he provides for his people. And we see that in that he gives his people his spirit. And so if you are a child of God here this morning, you have been given the spirit of God. You have been given that new heart that Ezekiel prophesied about just a chapter earlier, that your heart of stone has been replaced by the heart of flesh. And what does Ezekiel say happens when that heart is replaced? He says, God changes our heart's desires towards him. Has your heart been changed to desire the kingdom above all else? We also need to see that God is proclaiming that he will come and defeat death. Something that might have been simple for us to believe uh, as Christians, considering we celebrate every single year Easter, right? And what does Easter signify? The Lord has defeated death and sin. But I want you to consider the state of Israel during Ezekiel. There's a proverb that is quoted in Ezekiel 12 that says, Son of man, what is this proverb that you have said about the land of Israel, saying, The days grow long, Here's the proverb. The day grow, days grow long and every vision comes to nothing. This is where they've been. That's what they're living with. The days are long and everything comes to nothing. And do you know how the Lord responds to this? Immediately after in Ezekiel 12, God says, Tell them therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will put an end to this proverb and they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel. Y'all, God is proclaiming to them that death is going to be crushed, that the promises of God would be fulfilled one day. And on that day, death will have no power of God as he would raise up earthly bodies and bring bring his people out. And so this vision of Ezekiel in the valley of death, surrounded by bones that come to life, this is just a glimpse of the day that would one day come, where death would have no reign over the grave because the God of heaven and earth would place the sins of death his people on his son so that their bones would no longer be brittle and dry but clothed in his glory and splendor and majesty and their spirits renewed with his mercy and grace and never-ending steadfast love y'all christ has defeated death and in that victory we leave the valley of death and where do we go 
to that land that he promised, to that land we've been longing for since the fall, that land that you and I long for, that all of Israel longed for. That's the hope we have in Jesus. This is the hope we are called to take to the corners of the world. This is the hope I have as I leave you this morning, that Paul's words to the Corinthians are true. When he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in a, uh, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and the mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to the pass the saying that is written, that death it's swallowed up in what? Victory. And he says, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Y'all, there is victory in the Spirit. There's victory in the Gospel. That's a victory that has been given to us in Jesus. And that victory makes the power of Death Valley, even if they beat Bama, look like nothing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the victory we have in Jesus. We thank you that we get to celebrate that victory in just a moment as we partake together of the Lord's Supper, that you raise dry bones and give them life, give them spirit. Lord, change us. Use your spirit continually to be at work in us so that we might indeed speak with boldness and assurance to the world, to dry bones needing to, needing to be revitalized and refreshed and given new life, new life in you. So help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.